championship number 18, Hot Sauce Giovanni Salsi. All right, what's up, race fans? Welcome to episode two of Celsi Says. Here with Always Race Day, I'm Chris Williams, your host. And uh, Gio, we're not in the same room today as we've had really bad internet problems at my studio. So I apologize to anybody watching on YouTube. But it, this works because this is our first episode with a guest. This is not a guest I could have pulled. How are you doing, my friend? And I will let you introduce the the goat the greatest of all time onto the yeah, show yeah i'm doing great i uh, i have a hard on looking at all donnie's trophies i'm just gonna look at that for a while um <laughs> thank you for going on donnie i appreciate it um what, what do you do Gio? <laughs> <laughs> as you can see the podcast is really serious we have to talk about serious pot serious topics <laughs> um but having these two weeks off donnie what uh, what are you doing are you home where are you oh i've been home um, this morning, I'm actually, I was planning to be at my office, but I got a, uh, rental property just down the street from me here and, um, been trying to get a, a bathroom redone in the basement. So I've kind of been the guy to meet with the contractors and, uh, it's been, been getting a little bit of that done, but we actually got a uh, blizzard yesterday. Uh, we had our first dose of winter and it was minus six or seven last night so we got our we got a good dose and it's still pretty cold outside but i got all the snow moved this morning and uh ready to get back racing it's it's that time of the year i mean it's damn near march here tomorrow or the next day and um ready to get chomping at the bit but really haven't had much winter here in north dakota so it's been really kind of calm and relaxing and just kind of going with the flow was it like 70 up there like it was here it's been really <laughs> jacked up days ago it was 63 and then yesterday we had a blizzard and, and uh, I didn't even, I mean, when you get 63 in North Dakota, the end of February, you, you go, this is crazy. You're outside waiting for the grass to mow. I was cleaning up my yard, picking up dog poop. And, and somebody said, Hey, they're going to get a blizzard tomorrow. I'm like, no way in hell. And sure enough, we got a blizzard and it was cold. So um, yeah, it's kind of a shock. You can go from 63 to minus six. It's a pretty big sh culture shock for anybody, let alone, someone who lives here yeah no it it's it's been freaking crazy we uh we've been doing this the same like my i have a four-year-old and she can't comprehend that it's not like time to get the bikes out and and do all that good stuff donnie i i i'm gonna let geo get into the nuts and bolts with you but I, i'm a guy who i'm a sports writer i do college football college basketball that type of stuff i always wanted to be in racing but i I, um, I don't know. It didn't work out for me, but I was working for, I was doing racing columns for the Des Moines register like 10 years ago. And I called you to do a preview for the Knoxville nationals. I'm not kidding. I, I'm, I'm all grown up now. I was so fucking nervous to call you. <laughs> it was like it was like calling Earnhardt for me, dude. Like I was like, oh my god, am I that intimidating, or is it just uh, your perception of me? I mean, I think that's really what it is. I think people put you on a pedestal sometimes, even though you're not. Um, it's just, it, like I said, it's perception. But yeah, that's uh, you're probably better off being in the in the media world than uh, than the racing world. It's Geo probably agree with me on that. Some days it's probably a little bit uh, less bs yeah no no doubt about that 
Um, that, that's funny you say that, Chris. But um, so, Donnie, there's a lot. I did a bit of a deep dive on your career, and it's it's insane. I felt like I knew a lot about you, but watching that documentary they did about you and your family on YouTube, and just looking at the information that's on your website, it's it's pretty mind blowing to me. Um, I guess the position I'm in, only being my second year on the Outlaw Tour, you spent ten years on the Outlaw Tour before you won a championship. So I feel like now, or for me at least, you know, you run a few races, you run some Outlaw shows, you run some All Star shows, you get your feet wet, might win a few races, and then you go on the Outlaw Tour. Your first couple of years on the Outlaw Tour, you know, was your dad like, hey, you're going to sink or swim and, and, and figure it out? Or, you know, was it was it a grind the first couple of years just getting your ass hammered? Well, we didn't really know what we were getting into um, when we, we set out to do it. You know, and my father, he didn't know either. So he was focused on trying to maintain the things at the business to make sure we had the equipment. And, and we never went without. There was times when it was, you know honestly we didn't know whether we were coming or going so i think there's a lot as to why that's probably the biggest reason as to why it took me 10 years and you know after a certain period of time five or six years i mean it things were a little different back then obviously when you were racing against steve and sammy and um it, it just had a whole different i mean every night was intimidation central and you know, my father knew there was going to be a time period. It was going to have to, you were going to have to settle in and learn. And really he tried to preach the mental side to me and I, I would never listen. I thought, you know, no, it's all about, you got to have the right car, you gotta have the right motor and all these things got to line up. But um, realistically he was right. So I was a slow learner. Um, there's no question about it. Uh, would I have been a driver who drove for a car owner? Um, I probably would have been fired before I made it through the first year. And, and been ride jumping if I could get another ride. So driving my family's car really allowed me that time to, to kind of get my shit together, really, and, and figure it out. And, um, you know, after being out there a while, he, he started to, to tell me, hey, you know, maybe you got to um, – it was in a nice way, really. Maybe you ought to, uh, you know, start looking at some business ventures here. And I was like, what, you don't think I'm going to make it in racing? And he's like, well <laughs> – no, what if you get hurt? And he was starting to think that I wasn't going to make it racing. And, um, but he was also pitched it to me as, you know, maybe you could get hurt. And he's a hundred percent right on that. You, you, you never know what's going to happen, but, um, you know, that was kind of an eye opener and him and I got into business together. We opened a car wash here in Fargo in 2004. And, um, you know, that was an eye opener too. Um, you know, my first 10 years, my first 10 years, Geo, I spent a lot of time on the road. I, I wanted to be out there with the guys. I, I enjoyed working on the cars. I enjoyed doing all those things, but I guess I, I come to a point where it's like, you know what, this isn't, this isn't really healthy for a guy's frame of mind. Um, if, if you want to be at this level, it, especially if you live in North Dakota, you know, if you're a, uh, someone like Steve or, or Sammy and, and, you know, those guys, they could be home quite a bit. Well, when you're from North Dakota, um, you just, you couldn't. So, you know, I, it, like I said, I was just a slow learner and it, it, things come, uh, you know, when it finally started to come together, um, it came together in a, you know, pretty big hurry. So um, I'm pretty grateful for that opportunity and um, obviously have something to talk about today, but um, there's really no, no right or wrong. That's why, like, I, I look at you and, you know, I was very fortunate to have my family there the, the entire time. I had my dad there criticizing me and a lot of these things, and that's great. But 
you've kind of done it the hard way. You know what I mean? You're doing it. You're a young guy went out there and attacking it. And I, I got to give you a lot of credit for, man, you've always uh, maintained the utmost composure and not done things stupid, stupid and silly. So you've learned from, you know, very few mistakes you've made. And, um, you know, I got to commend you on your, your process because it's not easy to do. Um, there's, there's a lot of beat down. I don't have to tell you that. There's a lot of days you probably go, man, is this really, uh, is this really for me? But every time you put the helmet on, I'm sure you feel the same way I do. You, you, you get complete satisfaction and gratitude out of it and enjoy every second of it at that point. No, 100%. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I think that something I, I've figured out kind of quick is when you're, when you're trying to learn how to race and you crash three laps into a feature and you're sitting there watching the race happen, you're not learning anything. Um, even if you're running 15th, 18th, 20th, some of your shittiest nights, I feel like you learn the most. Um, you know, there's times where I feel like I've won, won some races and, and, you know, everything went easy. You drew, you know, one or two in the dash and just had a really seamless night. And then you run eighth or 10th. It's like, man, I raced with all the really good guys and learned almost more being around those guys mid pack than you did winning the race. Absolutely. Um, you know, I've said it a hundred times. Um, championships aren't going to be won the nights that you win. Uh, they're going to be won on the nights you don't win. Um, in today's environment, it's it's not as simple anymore as drawing a one or a two pill. You, you got to be on your game all the time. And, um, you know, you have to be able to pass cars. And that's where, you know, we've lacked the last, you know, three to five years. We just haven't had that consistency where we can can race and pass cars when we start in the second and third row of the heat races and make up any spots. You just always have to be in that position. So, um, you know, you learn, you know, you're always going to be learning. The, the learning button never shuts off. And maybe that's why, <laughs> you know, I'm in the position I'm in today because I'm just not learning as much as what we used to, um, you know, but we've, we've got to figure out how to learn from today's times and the way th things have changed with all the tires and all the stuff. So um, I guess the older you get, the harder it is to learn. Maybe it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks, but uh, sometimes you feel like maybe that, um, you know, that experience should come into play, but man, it sure doesn't seem to to be a thing like it used to. So it's, it's really about the learning curve. Well, I'll tell you what's so amazing. Like, again, I've, I've looked at, you know, on your website and a lot of the stats that I thought I knew that I really didn't. Um, there, there's an era in your, in your career that really interested me. You won your first championship in 2006. You won in 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009, you won four in a row. You won four Knoxville nationals in a row. 2006, 2007, you drove your dad's car. Oh, not oh eight oh nine. You drove Tony Stewart racing. Normally, when you go through a transition, changing teams, there is a growing period. There obviously wasn't. Um, and tied in with this, oh six was the first year of the NST, which is you know the same thing that's going on now with the kind of split. And I just, I, it's amazing to me that you really didn't miss a beat. Like, what what was the transition like from from oh seven to oh eight? Well, uh, I, man, it was quite. I, I remember it distinctly. You know. Um, uh, Rick Warner was racing in Charlotte, working for Everham as a, as a car chief on a, on a Bush series team back then. And he, you know, he showed, showed some desire to come back and race sprint cars. Um, you know, he'd raced with Tyler Walker and I don't know that they'd really ever committed to running anything full time, but um, you know, Rick came to work for, for my father and our family team back in, in at the end of 05 and man, then the split happened in 06 and, you know, that was not really, you know, my father said, listen, you just worry about driving 
and I will, you know, uh, I'm going to take care of the rest of this stuff. We're going to race with the outlaws. And he'd made that decision after having a few discussions um, and arguments with Fred Brownfield when uh, some of that stuff had happened. So it was kind of really out of my hands. And um, obviously it was the right decision looking back today. But, um, you know, there was a lot of questions in 06 with what that happened. And it, it, it opened a door and an opportunity for a lot of teams across the country. There was, I think they called them the mean 15 at the time. Um, but there was a lot of guys that wanted to go race with the outlaws, but it kind of felt like they, there wasn't room for them or there wasn't a spot for them. And it really, uh, opened, it was a, it was a great opportunity for a lot of people. And, um, I, I guess it just kind of fell right in line. It was like, we were ready. We were there. And in 06 kind of pounced on that opportunity. And then when everything kind of went back together, um, you know, the, the other series that had went away, um, man, we didn't miss a beat, um, from 06 to 07. And, um, you know, it, it was kind of funny. I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Anyway, at the end of one of them years, it was 06 or 07. Um, Rick decided to leave. I don't remember what, you know, he, he went to work for Casey Kane racing and was going to go race with Joey and those guys. And so that was kind of a, uh, you know, a kick in the shorts to us when, when, we put a championship season together and won these big races and uh, you know, one of the key ingredients leaves. I mean, was, was there discussion of why, or you just say, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to go a different direction. Well, I just, I think there's, there was a lot of um, probably money flying around or I, I'm not even sure. I, I honestly can't remember what, what the situation was, but, and, and maybe, you know, not a lot of people want to live in North Dakota. Maybe it had something to do with, no one wanted to be here because it's it's a tough to you're never here and if if you're away from your family it might have been a better opportunity I, anyway um rick did leave and went to work for casey and um that about three months into the season i think we we're march may april somewhere in there um they were in indianapolis staying in between races and and i guess rick got let go um casey let let Rick go right there. So Rick called Jimmy Carr at TSR and Rick stayed there until they could get him a, a ride or a ticket back to, to Charlotte where, where his wife and, and children were. And, um, that, and so he spent a couple days in, in Indy and that's really where the formation of myself and Tony Stewart racing, uh, came from. Um, Tony had wanted to start a second team, uh, even under the, when Lasoski was there and there was talk about it and, you know, Danny had talked to me about it and, and, um, my father was involved and all this. And, and it just, what there wasn't, it wasn't the right time. There wasn't a, there wasn't an exit plan that was very good. So, um, it never happened, but then, um, you know, Tony got with Rick and, and Jimmy and they decided to do this second team and they said, well, who's going to drive it? And Rick said, well, maybe you ought to call Don and, uh, they were like, well, he's not going to come here. And so we, I remember we were at uh gold Lake and Brainerd on a little bit of a family vacation and for the week. And they called and asked if we could have a sit down. And I said, uh, well, when would you like to do that? And they're like, well, this afternoon. So, uh, my father and I, we hopped in the plane and, and flew to Indy and, um, we sat around, uh, you know, the, the home depot pool table upstairs at the shop and 
um, that was the formation of the 15 team at, at Tony Stewart Racing. So, um, you know, basically what it was, um, we were going to operate under TSR's banner the rest of that year, uh, operate out of the shop, work with those guys, work with the other car while Rick and those guys, you know, started to assemble another team. So the guys that I, I had on my team at the end of the year went there, uh, minus one guy that I guess they didn't, couldn't get something squared away with. So, um, it was really a, an easy transition. It wasn't, it wasn't, um, so it wasn't, it wasn't like I was really just starting over, you know, we worked together through that whole, uh, 07 season and won a championship still while we were doing all that. So basically all that happened was the, the trailer had different signage and everything had different signage when we started the 08 season. And, um, you know, everybody was so pumped and motivated that at that time, I don't, I mean, I, there's times when you get, get to that and you, you can't knock someone off the top. And we were in that position at that point and, um, having a great time every night. We were, you know, just gelling and gelling as much as you could. And so it was pretty neat. And I think everybody was pretty humbled. I mean, obviously Rick and I had raced together and that changed and then he went somewhere else and that, you know, that changed. And I think it kind of put everybody in a, in a little bit different mind frame, um, going forward. So Donnie, was- we, we- Go ahead, ahead, Gio. I I was going to ask, I just, he brought up the NST thing and then everything that's going on now. I mean, are there, are there similarities with high limit or is this like a totally different animal? Did you learn something then that made you stick with the outlaws this time around? How would you, how would you describe that? Well, when, when it happened before, you know, like I said, uh, I remember when the, when my father got in a, a heated discussion with Fred Brownfield. We were racing in Denver, and I remembered it wasn't fun to watch. But obviously, they didn't see eye to eye on on the future, and that's what it was really about. And I don't want to get into names, and, and you know, it doesn't do any good to sit and nitpick little things like that that don't amount to a hill of beans today. But you know, Fred's version vision of what was needed to go down the road to make it happen, and my father's were two different avenues and and you got to respect both of them for it you know that is there right and wrong even to this day i can't say either one of them was right or wrong just because we come out on the right end of it doesn't mean it was right um but you know that that wasn't really my decision i you know he told me to mind my own business and i can tell you one thing about my father if he told you to mind your own business and you didn't i can tell you you got a boot in the ass and i i remember it well still wish I could get it, but unfortunately that's not going to happen at 46 anymore. But, um, you know, I don't know how you, you look at that compared to today. Um, there's a couple things that, that, you know, it really wasn't my decision, but realistically back then we hadn't even give these guys at the outlaws uh, a legit chance to even screw anything up or provide something great. There was some hubbub about starters, um, all these things that I think rubbed people the wrong way. And um, looking back now, I say, you know, I, I think I see what they were, you know, what they were trying to do or kind of had a vision for, was it going to work? No, but you can't really always, you know, cock block somebody's vision just because it's different than yours. Uh, And um, so I can see why it didn't it didn't go forward. Obviously, there was there was a lot of money that that was changing hands. Um, obviously, you know in today's environment, there's there's still a lot of money changing hands. Um, but I can tell you that in in my experience, 
um, people do things different when it's you're spending your own money versus spending someone else's. And I think that's something super huge. It, it, it's like our government. Our government has no damn clue what they're doing with money. I mean, we send a hundred billion here and a hundred billion there. And then they say, no, we can't spend 5 billion on something for us. It, it's, it's not their money to spend. And when that happens in racing, it, it, it does happen. It, it's, um, I mean, I drive for, for Tony Stewart. So does that mean I'm spending his money? Well, I really don't run the race team. Uh, you know, I'm a driver, but I've had my own team and I've spent my own money. So I think people who spend their own money have just go at things a little bit different. Uh, they're a little more frugal and they're a little more hands-on and they're a little more refined on what goes where versus someone that just, there's this endless pot of gold over here and we think that we can't lose. So, you know, it, it's, um, it, it's a tough scenario to be in. No doubt. I, I think, I think what is going to you know interest me the most about high limit is up to this point, they've had their 12 race series last year. Every night was a home run. It was Tuesday nights, you know, you had Kyle Larson, all of them, you know, they're, you're not competing against anything this year. I feel like it's going to really test them because you look at, you know, E, Tampa or Tampa East Bay looked like it was awesome. A whole shitload of cars. You go to Gold Niles. There's only 25, 26 cars. You know, I wasn't there, so I can't speculate. But it looked like the stands weren't packed. I feel like the the bad nights or the slow nights they have that aren't home runs. They're going to see if they can you know survive throughout the whole year. Because the outlaws. I mean, talking to Carlton, obviously not being around way back then. You know, he's told me that not every night was a winner. You know, not every night was a home run. Which what it seems like the outlaws are now. You know, every time you go to a World of Outlaws race, stands are packed. You know, people love it. The streaming deal has obviously changed the whole dynamic of, of you know, racing in general. I feel like with Dirt Vision and, and the stuff that's added so much purses. But I feel like the the next two to three years, we're going to see a, a change in the dynamic. Because, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Donnie. I don't know exactly how the NST stuff ended, but Fred Brownfield got killed at the end of that season. So who knows? They could have said, oh, my God, it would have it would have defeated the Outlaws. It would have done whatever. But in the end, it never happened. I mean, I think, the like you said, the the – whole dynamic is similar, but has a lot of differences because of, of how it looks in today's world. Well, and that, you know, I, I, look, I don't know all, how all the ins and outs of the NST happened, Gio, but I can tell you that obviously it died when Fred died and, and there was other partners in there, but those partners didn't want to step up to the plate and put their own money in there. And that's what I'm saying is when you look at high limits, you know, um, it, it, is it any different? You have to ask yourself, so what's different about high limits? Is it did they come with some dramatic rule package that was a problem from the outlaws? Did they come up with some dramatic schedule change from the outlaws? Actually, my guys put it on a spreadsheet, and my guys, and this was a big decision in TSR going that way because Tony has a, a vested interest with obviously selling the all stars. Which, man, what a kick in the nuts to Ohio and Pennsylvania racing on a regional level, not having the all star schedule function and i don't think you're going to see the the downfall of that this year but you will going forward with ohio and pa car counts going forward but um it's not different there's no rules different you know the format's not a whole lot different it's it's somewhat similar so really it's all it is 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 guys doing the same thing on the other side of the street it's a different ownership it's um you know, Brad's trying to do something for Brad that's obviously away from racing. Um, and he can he can leverage Kyle's name and and another streaming service flow to 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 be able to fund all this. And 
And, you know, that's when you when you look at the schedule, my guys were going to spend 45 days more in a hotel and be away from the shop to do more traveling for 20 less races. And and that's kind of how we look at things. I mean, every day them guys are away from the shop. I got three guys and two hotel rooms and, and I don't have to tell you. Uh, hotels anymore are like highway robbery if if i sold gas for eight dollars a gallon because i could they'd lock me up but you can charge three hundred dollars for a hotel room because oh we got a double b basketball tournament in town this weekend we can charge 350 400 a night or there's an outlaw race you know no rhyme or reason it's ridiculous i mean you just want to rent the room for the night not buy it for the month but um you know there's a lot of things that 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 really are the same and it's just on the other side of the street. So, um, you know, I was involved, spent a lot of time talking with Brad about this in the, when it started and, you know, a couple key takeaways I take from it was, you know, Brad always said he never wanted to do anything to hurt the outlaws or take away from the outlaws. And that's not really proven true right now. I mean, uh, we went from having a midweek series, which was pretty cool, kind of leveraged some bigger pay in races, but, I don't, I don't think I have to tell you that it's not about uh, what the races pay to win. I mean, everybody wants to win, but only one guy can and runs second. It's third on back are the ones that got to figure out how to make this financially feasible. And obviously there's more of those guys in that scenario than the guys that can win. So, um, you know, a lot of the people that were with the outlaws have left. Um, I, I guess some of them I think have had, uh, they're a little bit, too much like fangirlies where if you're, if you're in a professional racing series, you can't just be a, a fangirl or fanboy, whatever you want to call yourself with this stuff. You have to, you know, you have to do everything at the utmost level. And that's one thing I will say that it, it's kind of lost its way since Ted Johnson. I remember Ted used to get on his people. He wouldn't let them stay at the same hotel and he wouldn't, you know, he kept them away because he wanted to keep that professionalism and never have to answer those questions. So, um, I don't know. I guess we'll, we'll see what happens, you know, uh, from a business standpoint of it, I think right now, um, and I hope this never proves true, but right now I think it's probably one of the worst times in history of sprint car racing or dirt track racing that we can start getting super greedy on the financial side of it. And I'll tell you why I can sit here and tell you today that, uh, our business is down 30 plus percent and we're having to do things different because it's, you feel like you're riding the wave. It's worse than what COVID was. And obviously, you know, I deal with a lot of transportation companies and, and it has to do with our government and our politics and the way things are going and inflation and all these things. So should, if things, and we're an election year and everything gets skewed and, and totally taken out of context during election years so in my opinion if if things don't go right come this presidential election this year racing's going to take a huge hit to marketing partners and money spent because everybody's going to have to start cutting back um, I mean, look at, look at I, I deal with i i got a, we got a trucking company with us that 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 we've done stuff with for a long time and we we deal with a lot of trucking and they're telling me you know what they said, we are tired of leveraging millions upon millions of dollars to haul freight, to not have anything stick to us at the end. It, it's not worth it. So if things don't go the right way politically at the end of 2024, they're like, 
we're closing the doors. And, 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 and I can feel it. You see it, you feel it. And it's not just trucking. It's, it's everything. It's so I feel like that a guy's got to be very careful in, in what you do running around. Like we're, we got all this money. We throw this money around because it's not going to, it's not going to stay that way. Racing is not something that we all have to do, or it's, it's, it's a way of life because we want it to be, we chose it to be. Um, if some of you know our partners start cutting back on money and the sponsor sponsorships, which it's going to be the first thing to happen if if people got to start cutting back. Now we're in this. Really, did we did we cross a line? Um, did we did we get too greedy? And um, but you know that's just an opinion. I, I guess not everybody's going to look at it. I, I I get the whole race car drivers sometimes only look at things from from what they want to see in their perspective. Cause I've been there, I've done that. But um, as you get older and you start to feel everything that, that happens, not only in your body, but in your, in your checking account and your way of life and your tax statement at the end of the year and all these things, it, it uh, you just start to, you know, analyze things different and break them down. Cause if you don't break things down and try to figure out how to uh, have everything financially sound, then um, you're probably not going to be around very long. I want to give you my, from a fan and a marketing perspective, I'm a late model guy. Donnie grew up in motorhomes, traveling around the country, chasing Billy Moyer. Okay. That's my background. The one thing I always admired about sprint cars is when I went to an outlaw race, I knew who was going to be there. The best cars in the world, best drivers in the world. were all competing against one another. When I go to a late model race, <laughs> Moyer's cherry picking. We, you know, we don't, we don't really know who the hell is going to be there. And that's why you sprint car guys always make fun of us for caring about car counts so much. Right. My, my fear here is, and I've gotten way more into sprint cars over the last 10 years due to streaming. Um, I just don't want you guys to become what late models are in my mind, uh, where I want to see the best cars best drivers go up against one another. And I would also tell you this, and I've, I've thrown some money at regional late model guys and around here about just sponsoring my businesses. Um, when like the, the way I kind of look at this is you, you were, you gave really good insight on the travel versus the amount of races run from a sponsorship standpoint. I think that we're increasing the, the value because of the streaming, but a lot of these sponsors are not national sponsors. I know you have some geo, all of yours are here in Iowa, right? Yeah. They want to see you on the track. For sure. Um, like when you streaming to um, an audience in Pennsylvania, that while it's, while it's great, it's this exposure that doesn't do a ton for the, for the local sponsor. So I, I think there's more of it, like from that fan standpoint, I only have so many nights a year I can go to a race. I only have so many. I can't watch both every night. I wish I could because I'm trying to watch <laughs> Lucas Oil. I'm trying to watch the late model uh, World of Outlaws, right? Like I, I just think you're, you're spreading out um, the fan as well. Does that make sense? Absolutely. We're not only just spreading out the fan, um, we're spreading out you know, you take a look at, and I, and I've always respected late model guys, by the way. And I'll tell you why they get the full circle of it. They understand all these late model guys. They're, they're just a little more down to earth when it comes to the financial side of it. They drive their own trucks. They stay in the rigs. They understand you're not going to pull into a little prairie track with 1500 seats and have a 25,000 to win show. They, they get that where sometimes 
uh, on the sprint car side of things, you guys get really pushy, like just push. They don't, you know, it doesn't make sense. But because of the streaming, the same thing that's making it grow is the same thing that's hurting it. You know, if we get to a point where we can't put people in the stands at the races, what do you got to put on? You you know, the, the promoter's losing money. Um, it's a double-edged sword. It really is. And, and I'd hate to have to navigate it. But I certainly don't agree with the fact that to sit here and say, oh, well, this company's worth $100 million. Well, <laughs> they didn't get to be worth $100 million throwing money down the drain, doing things here. And the one thing that has never, ever worked in any form of business or motorsports is you don't rob from Peter to pay Paul. So if you're taking money from here and shoving it here to make it look good, that's going to happen for a short period of time, but it's not going to happen for a long period of time. But if if we start eliminating, you know, it don't matter what track it was. It, it, if the promoter doesn't make a little money, he's not putting on the race, then you got nothing to stream and, and you know, that track, it's weekly programs gone. I mean, most of these racetracks across the country have disappeared. And, and anyone that tries to run a weekly show has to rely on their bigger races to make some money to, to make ends meet for all them other shows. And it, it's kind of at a weird spot. I know our races up here in North Dakota, they're, they're SLS promoted races, which means them guys are from out of state. They come in and rent them the facility and, and you know that so nothing really sticks to the racetrack in an ample amount but then guys come and say well you got to fix the fence or you got to do this you got to spend 50 grand worth of work you know that's got to come from somewhere the guy has to be able to make it back at some point you can't just keep shoveling money into things uh without getting some sort of return so um and, and i'm not don't get me wrong I, I love the sls guys they've done so much for us over the years and had so many races but they if if they go away now what now we're really in trouble or if the local track goes away so it's it's got to work for everyone and if if we don't have these tracks like i said we got nothing to stream and and i'll probably get crucified for this but i honestly believe the streaming service is way too cheap you can sit in i mean i subscribe to it for what is it 199 dollars a year or something and can watch every race um, that's cheaper than what it would be to go to one race. So at some point it has to have some sort of a correlation to keeping, you know, keeping things going, but I get it. It's, um, that's not Especially my, if you though. buy beer, <laughs> yeah, it's a hell of a lot cheaper for me. Hell one, yep. one night down at Knoxville and dingus is my, is my dirt vision subscription. So hell yeah. Exactly. I, I, and plus like us fans, like we are, kid, I got, twenty thousand dollars in diecast behind me right we're nuts like we'll charge me five dollars more i don't care i'd do it just to support the drivers that i love geo what do you think about all that i mean i think that me especially you know i've, I've been away from california for i don't even know now five or six years and I, i've lost some connection with a lot of the local tracks when you race the world of outlaws full-time or as long as you have donnie you you do lose a little bit of perspective because when we go to races they're paying 10 20 50 thousand dollars to win the stands are packed and then when we leave town, the next local show, there, there's 500 people in the stands. I think a perfect example of that is Knoxville. You go to a local Knoxville race. Yes, the stands hold 15,000 people, and there might be 2,500 people in the stands, which is a really good crowd, but it looks like there's five people in the stands. You know, And I think race car and, and team-wise, the divide, and this happens in any kind of motorsport, the divide between the elite outlaw teams or whatever you want to call them, the full-time teams, and the local guys is only getting bigger. Um, I feel like especially over the last – five years we go to pennsylvania and you know lance deweese danny dietrich brett marks the the 
teams are dwindling the local caliber teams that can compete with the outlaws in my opinion see i don't know if that was different back because it's always the posse is obviously still there because they have the biggest local schedule of anywhere in the country for 410 races but you know late 90s you had you know greg hodnett fred bramer stevie smith it seemed like there were way more teams they would race around their area that when the outlaws rolled in it would you know they still compete with us now i'm not saying they don't but it seemed like it was a lot tougher because the outlaw teams like i said it seems like the whether it's money, engines, resources, the the gap is just becoming bigger from those local teams to the to the you know full time teams. You know, I think you got to look at it this way too. And in, in Pennsylvania, in Ohio, now that there's no all stars, I, I had a someone come up to me. I think it was in Volusia when we were there earlier. Uh, you know, gibbering about upset that I didn't go high limit racing and da 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 da. And he I said, where are you from? And he said, he's from Pennsylvania. And I said, well, guess what? You just lost 12 of your biggest paying races in the state of Pennsylvania. And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, there's not a single all-star show there anymore. All-stars are done. So, and that's when the all-stars came to town, that the weekly shows aren't going to pay that. Those guys, that was 12 big shows. So now you take away, that's just in PA alone, 12 races. And then if you add Ohio Speed Week and some of that, which some of the them races have come back. So, yeah, it's um, <laughs> I I uh, sometimes I I wake up and think this can this really be happening? Are we going down this path? But it's it's happening, so you just have to to deal with it and and try to change the times and stay on the right side of it. But I think you got the right I think you got the right frame of mind on it. So and I think we've uh, that's interesting to see your your viewpoint in that. I want to the last last area I want to talk about is. 2014 to 2018, you you pretty much completely annihilated everybody. There was five consecutive years of 20 or 20 or more wins on the Outlaw Tour every single year. So this is all going on. You have was when first question: When did Scuba come on? Scuba's been at TSR since the day I I went there. When I went there in in 07 and 08, um, Scuba was there working on the 20 car, which became the 14 car um, down the road. So there was a lot of things that happened in a short amount of time there. You know, Tony, we, we go to start this team and then all of a sudden he's part of Stuart Haas, he, you know, started with Gene Haas and the NASCAR deal. So a lot of stuff at the, happened at just the same time. But, yes, yeah, Scoob's been there a long time. And, and, you know, him and I didn't always like each other. Or, you know, we grew up around the same neck of the woods. But I know how it was when I, you know, those guys were on the 20 car and whatever. He, he wasn't a big fan of me because I was, I mean – I got my finger on the button all the time and I'm demanding and, you know, wasn't really his, his, his apples. And then uh, some things started to shuffle up after a few years. And, and um, they asked me and I said, I, th- I think it's time we get scuba on the 15, you know, Rick's a great crew chief. Rick, Rick can eat, sleep and drink racing, but you got to have someone that can take care of the, uh, the ins and outs and all the things that go on. And scuba was that guy. Those two complimented each other, like ding and dong. You know what I mean? You just can't um, scuba made it happen. And Rick made the decision. And, and a lot of times people don't realize Rick couldn't make a decision and scuba made the decision for him because he was confident. So those two together were oh, man, unreal. It was like, I could show up an hour late, still feel like I was going to win. Um, and so you know, Scoops, uh, he's really been the back, backbone of, of the entire team. And, and yeah, there, you're right. There was a lot of years of great success or Geo, 14 to 18. I remember 15 distinctly. I think we won 31 races that year, which is 
pretty crazy to sit back and look at now. It'd be now we sit back and win three and think we're having an okay year. But, um, yeah. what, what, and what's amazing to me about that whole time is people don't realize when you're winning those races and you're doing good, you're constantly working to get better. You're not just unloading with the same package every night saying, well, this package wins. We're going to win again. You're always changing shocks. You're changing your whole package. I'm sure it evolved over those years. And 2018, you win the championship. I know there were talks. Obviously, Ford was a sponsor. The the transition, because obviously developing an engine is not an easy process that you know you've you've lived it the last five years. I think what's amazing is is you win all these races and it goes, hey guys, Ford's coming on board. We're gonna run a Ford. Like I know it wasn't that simple, but what were the talks within TSR of hey, we're gonna bring a completely different engine package, not only engine package, have Andy Durham building it that had never built an injected racing engine. You have a late model guy. You know, and, and you have really a super team with you, Ricky, and Scuba, guys that could win with a freaking Honda Civic engine in. Like, what, what was the transition and conversations like from 19 to now, really? Well, when it first came about, when, when Stuart Haas was going to Fords, um, I think that big speculation was it's going to happen for us. There's going to be Ford get involved and build a sprint car engine. So um, everybody had this negative Nelly attitude. Rick did scuba did i did uh shaver really did because shaver had been down that path before and anyway i mean he's the one that was most vocal about it saying i'm not doing that again i'm too old that you know but when when the time come and, and it was in front of us um i'm not gonna lie i'll tell you how i felt the outlaws don't want to see someone come in and dominate and dominate and dominate they want to keep changing it they they feel like it's their job as a series to do that. And I was like, I, I told Tony, I said, I don't really think we have anything to lose because they, they were, they're just going to keep doing things until they get what they want. And, and that's what it's, it's what NASCAR does. It's what everybody's going to do. They don't want someone stinking up the show or, and we had enough of that. So I got, I guess I felt like the timing was right. I was like, we're kind of in our, we're in a good spot. So we should be able to tackle this with no problem. Although we know there's going to be setbacks, you know, you're going to have DNS, you know, you're going to have all these things. And, and then when we started getting into it, um, it was actually uh, quite fun. I mean, uh, from a guy sitting at a computer talking about, you know, drawing this from scratch and you can put the water temperature probe where you want and the oil pressure line and, and just, you can refine something on paper before you, uh, you know, get to the drawing board and actually make it and, and get, you know, and really it's, it's an awesome thing. The, the setback for us really was, there was at the time, if anybody knows anything about bore spacings, um, Ford had an aluminum block with a four or five bore spacing. And someone somewhere, I don't know who told the world of outlaws, you can't allow that. You cannot allow that. It will be a game changer. Everyone will have to have Fords because that four or five board spacing is going to allow them to run them so hard. They won't and just go, 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 go. And so the world of outlaws said you have to be OEM board spacing, which is 4380 for Ford, Chevy's 4400, and Dodges were 4500. And that's, I guess, looking back on it now, why the Dodges used to run so good back in the day. Um. So that meant that Ford had to go and make a new block from scratch, which is about a million dollar process from paper to mold to getting it to casting done. And it had to 
be done overseas. And then you end up in COVID and all these things happening and uh, similar thing with the cylinder head. So it, there, there got to be a lot of, um, uh, uh, you know, it was, we're just waiting. It's literally like a waiting process, but um, yeah, it's, it's been a definite challenge. Uh, there's been a lot of it. That's been fun. Um, we haven't had the results we want by any means, but um, you know, it, when we get them and we're starting to get to where we can get things the way I feel like they should be now. And, and um, Zeb Wise has been running them and he, he seems to like the the progress that's happened that, you know, going forward in the future, you can look at it and say, man, it, you know, we were part of that and it wasn't easy. It was definitely uh, it, it's humbling it, even to this day. Um, but it, but it is what it is. It, it, so I think the timing of it was right. Um they they weren't going to continue to to see the the domination of the what we had and so you just you just deal with it and I think that um, that's just part of it. I, you can't knock them for it. That's uh, if I was in their shoes, I'd probably be trying to do the same thing. But um, it's it's definitely a, a an overwhelming process that I feel like we finally got our our fingers around things and and hopefully uh, we can get the performance that we need. Donnie, I've always wanted to ask you this because I love how you guys are. There's so much passion for the for the sprint car aspect of this. I asked Bobby Pierce one time. I was like, "What do you want to do? You ever want to go to NASCAR?" He's like, "Hell no! I'm going to be racing dirt weight models till I die." And I feel Geo's kind of puts off that vibe with me. You had to have had opportunities. We've seen you in NASCAR a little bit, messing around there. I've seen you in a late model a bunch. Was, was there ever a point in your career where you, where you thought about doing something else and you had that opportunity and it, you actually had to sit down and think about it? Yeah, I did. Um, I had an opportunity to do what was called an ABC program back in the day, Arkabush Cup. Um, you know, it was put in front of me. It was a, it was a great opportunity. Um, I went as far as go down to Charlotte to try to, you know, figure out what I was going to do. Um, and at the end of the day, when we sat down, I, I just – I kind of had a fit said, you know what? This isn't me. I, since I was five years old, I dreamt of racing sprint cars and then I got to race sprint cars and all I want to do is win an outlaw race. And then I win an outlaw race and all I want to do is win a championship. And I win a championship. All I want to do is win another one. And all this happened prior to me ever winning anything. And so I think it was a, is a good process to go through, but it was also a process where you felt like you were an expendable tool. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you know how many races you're going to run in the next three years. And when someone tells you, yeah, you got 12 races this year and 14 next year and six, I'm like, shit, I can do that much in the month of July with the outlaws. <laughs> so, you know, honestly, when it comes to racing, I had to just kind of look at my, just look at myself and go, man, is this really what you want to do? Yeah. The, there was a, a lot of money there, but, uh, they say money can't buy happiness. I guess I've, I've had a hell of a lot of happiness racing sprint cars. And I, and it, I still think to this day it was uh, the right decision. I, I do enjoy some other, you know, I've always loved the silver crown cars because of the AJ Foyt days. And I, I think it's like, it, it's an awesome car because it's like driving a bathtub full of water and it, the car changes so much over the course of the race. And so I've enjoyed some things like that. Um, the, the little 500 at Anderson, there's, there's a lot of little sprint car races on pavement and stuff that I'd, I've always had this kind of like goal in the back of my mind to do, but 
I was not put on this planet to drive on pavement except for to and from work and home <laughs> uh, or the airports. So pavement just never really was my thing. And, and um, it, you know, I don't know that I'm ever going to get into doing anything other than that. But, yeah, I, I, I think I made the right decision. Um, I love what I do, and I hope I can continue to do it, um, you know, for, for a long time coming. I don't know that you'll see anybody race into their 60s, but, uh, hey, who knows? I mean, Steve did it. Steve did it um, very successfully. So he set the bar pretty high. So to, to, to try to get there is going to be pretty hard. Gio, what about it? What fascinates me is because I know how hard it is to do what you guys do. Like the, you're not taking private jets very often. From I know you got a plane, Donnie, but like it's not a luxurious. I want to start picking on the guy with private planes. (laughs) It's it's not it's not a luxurious way of life. I guess is the way I would put it. You're going. These are small towns. Even if you do get a hotel, it's not. You're not staying in these five five-star hotels what is it geo for you like it's is it a what what's so addicting about that way of life because it, it's not it's not your guys's job you have to eat sleep and shit this stuff well i got told when i was young that racing isn't fun winning is fun um and you know it's kind of a weird thing to hear when you're 12 years old and all you want to do is just drive a sprint car but in the end going around there and making laps isn't isn't the fun part it's it's knowing that you beat the best guys on a given night. And I think the what's so unique, unique about sprint car racing and dirt racing in general is, you know, a NASCAR schedules, what, 36 races. Um, they'll, they'll park on Wednesday, you know, have a whole weekend deal at the same place, practice, qualify race, and then move to the next city. I mean, we can cover five, six, 700 miles in a couple nights. Um, and I think that's what's so unique about it is people don't realize I bought a brand new truck last year. It's got 50,000 miles on it just from last year. So, you know, the, the guys that, you know, it's, it's a good question. Why do we do it? I, I don't really know other than wanting to win races. And, and it, it becomes a way of life. I mean, Donnie, you've spent 28 years out here. Um, I mean, could you really imagine yourself doing anything different in that time period? No. Um, I, there, I've never even questioned would I do something different. I, I, I think that over my experience, the things I've learned in, in racing has helped me, you know, want to be home and, and – excel in some of the business stuff we have and deal with, you know, just dealing with people. And, um, it, I have a great balance. Uh, I don't envy anybody that wants to beat up and down the road. You got to really want to race real bad to, to Chris, to, to do like what Gio's doing, you know, he's driving his t-shirt trailer and, uh, picking up homeless dogs on exits, you know, um, and taking <laughs> I, them in. I should have brought I mean, it. He's honestly, it's in, and you know, the unique part of it is, 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 I've lived it and I've been miserable in some of them environments. I, I got to commend you. I, you never see, I never hear him complain. Never, you know, he's always got a pretty upbeat about it. And there's nights, you know, I, I know he's poked fun at me a little bit here and there when he, we go places it's four hours and he'll be, how long was it for you? I was like 15 minutes. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, you try not to bring that up because it's not like you're trying to brag, but it, hey, for most of these, places, asked, so I got to answer. You fly right <laughs> over Des Moines going to North Dakota. So if you want to, yeah. about, you drop me off. <laughs> anyway, but it is, it is definitely, but it's also, if you've never done it, uh, you know, this is something that I've had in the back of my mind when you're young um, and you want to race, you get tunnel vision. I had it. Okay. Um, 
I absolutely had tunnel vision. Nothing else in my life mattered. Honestly, I got married. didn't even know I was married. All I give a shit about was racing. And obviously that's why I'm not married today. You know, you, you just, you let it consume you because you want it so bad. And, and I was that way. Um, and you don't even acknowledge a problem like, Hey, maybe my marriage is in trouble because I'm too much in love with racing or, you know, all these things. You don't even realize it until it's too late. Um, so it's just tunnel vision and, and, uh, but it's, you know, need to see that Geo's tackling it quite well. I, if I don't think I could script it for you any better, you, you do a pretty damn good job of it. So you got to keep down that track and, and, uh, keep on the right path, but don't let it consume you. You gotta, you, you still gotta have, you know, things in life that matter other than just getting in the race car and being successful in it. But man, I let it get the best of me in, I guess I can't take back anything I've done. I don't, I don't regret anything I've done, but I wish I, you know, could do some things a little bit different. So I didn't have so much muddy water from time to time, but um, that's live and learn. And uh, so, it, you know, I've definitely learned from it. But look, look at the, look at the greats in motorsports. I mean, yourself, Steve Kinzer, you know, to win those championships and to do what you guys have done, Brad Sweet, you know, last five years, you know, I, I would be surprised if he said that hasn't taken a bit of a toll on his relationship with his wife and his daughter. You know, you race, you're gone from no, you know February to November. Every single weekend, there's, there's, hey, can you come to my baseball game or my football game or whatever? Hey, sorry, I can't. I'm racing. Um, yeah. And, you know, even relationships. I mean, luckily, my girlfriend grew up in racing. She understands it. But if you date a girl and she says, hey, can we go out to the movies on the weekend? Hey, I'm racing. What about next weekend? Hey, I'm racing. So pretty much from now until November, I'm racing every weekend. So I'm not going to do anything with you. And it's it's hard, you know. But again, at, at what cost? You know, it, it just it, it is a lifestyle and it sounds cliche, but you could be having the worst day in the world. But when you walk into your semi and you're putting tear offs on your helmet and, and you're, they call for engine heat, nothing else in the world matters. Nothing I mean, else that, matters. That whole night you, you, you get home after a month of being gone. And all, like you said, you've been, we've been home for two weeks, two and a half weeks. And, and we're like itching, like to freaking let's go, you know, get yep. some more, you know? Yep. That's definitely the case. Why I, that's why I love and admire you guys because I I wanted to be an announcer, Donnie. I never wanted to race a car because I don't have balls like you guys do. I it was one summer when I was in college. I went back home and I was announcing five nights out of the week. I was at um, I eighty in Nebraska, Corning uh, Eagle across the Midwest, and I was making like seventy five bucks a night. Half the time I was living in my Pontiac Sunfire, and I was like. I got to the middle of June and I was like, fuck this. I'm out. I finished the year because um, I respected my bosses, but I was like, I'm not like th this isn't this isn't for me. And but I but I got to and I wasn't even doing a touring series. I'm going around to weekly tracks like I'm I'm making no money doing that. And it it's just even those guys like my buddy uh, Blake Anderson, who I know you guys both know he's an Iowa guy. I love Blake. I mean, so it's Washington I, guy now. Yeah. But I just see the the work and the the miles that those guys put on and everybody from the text to it's just it's this crazy traveling circus that you all have to have a little few screws loose to participate in. I I admire it. I think we need to do that geo with this with this show though as we keep growing is tell those stories as well because it's a huge part of what you do. I mean, I didn't know half the shit you told me tonight, Donnie. Like it's people from the outside looking in you only see what, what fans see and, and you don't see the discussions that go on behind the scenes and, and, you know, 
whether it was a quick decision or, or a long decision or, or how, how you see, you know, you can't see label from inside the box. I think that's a, a great, great saying. And it's amazing to see over, over the almost 30 years that you've raced, how, how much has gone on. And I, I didn't even know you had an opportunity to do that stuff with on pavement and NASCAR. And, and I feel like you had a very similar aspect to, to the way I looked at it. You know, it's just, what are you really doing this for? Do you, do you love pavement NASCAR racing or do you love sprint car racing? And, and I found myself watching dirt vision as I was waiting to go practice or qualified in ARCA race. And it's, it's not fair to the guys in that, that, you know, operation, because my heart wasn't in it, which it seems like it was the, the same way for you. And, and you, you gotta be happy. Cause I don't feel like I've, I've worked a day in my life being able to race sprint cars for a living. Absolutely. I haven't, I, I don't feel like it either. You know, I even got as far as I went and did a, one of the pavement schools that they wanted me to, to go just to see how, and um, you know, I think I actually learned more, uh, from Mike Lozier at the finish line racing school. It's kind of when I started to apply some of it to dirt and that's when things started to, you know, start going the right way for me. You know, you, you learn a lot of things from, from doing that, I guess being diverse in today's environment is, is, um, it's, it's definitely important. I think we've seen that the talents that are out there. I mean, you can't deny the probably the talentest person we're ever going to see in our lifetime is Kyle Larson and whatever he drives, the guy can, it, uh, I, I think he should race BMX bikes too. see if he can win in those. But, um, you know, it, it's definitely helped doing those different sorts of things, but I'm just very fortunate. I ended up right back where, where my heart was and what I dreamt of. And, and I always, I always say this careful what you wish for, because it may come true. And uh, it definitely, it definitely did for me. All right. Well, the takeaway I have is Geo. We got to go win some races so you can get yourself a plane. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> you guys yeah. had one. <laughs> no you got to, you got you to incorporate it with business. He's got that opportunity. Well, I, I don't know. He's we've well, got the know. podcast now. We can. Yeah, well, I, mean, I don't know if his dad is, is your dad retired now. Did he sell out? I don't know what the hell he is. My phone was ringing, and it's probably him asking me why the hell I'm not answering my phone. So yeah, probably. Well, if I know he's going to be calling me here shortly because I <laughs> yeah. own about 150 grand for a truck that got done there yesterday. The so. truck should be should be on the way. I've I've got the yeah. I, I got to call Dom <laughs> back here later, but um, yeah. Anyway, well, we'll let you go. We'll let you get to your meeting and actually do do the important stuff. Thanks, Donnie. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, thank you, guys. I had a great time. Let's do it again. Absolutely. All right. Now we'll do it in person next time. We'll bring some beer. Oh, absolutely. How about that? All right. That sounds good. He's the the great Donnie shots, uh, greatest of all time. That was awesome. Gio, thanks for setting that up, man. We, no we got to do a lot more of interviews like that. That was fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I knew that that's it. That's the side of things that, that no, no one sees that side from Donnie. Everyone sees the tunnel vision guy in his boots, his jeans and his tucked in polo at the racetrack. Like he doesn't talk to nobody because he is there to win races. Like he's not there to profile and sell t-shirts and it just, I admire him a lot, as you can see, and I, I you know, want to, you know, base myself off of what he's done. One of the things I, I like about you, you're 23, 22, 22. I, you can tell you grew up in a racing family because it, you, you called me and you were really excited that we were going to be able to get Donnie on, and I could tell just the admiration and respect that you had for him. Like I. I don't know if that's become you because you come from a racing family, but I, I would think that that definitely plays into it too. Cause I, I would guess not every 22 year old in the garage has that much respect for the competitor, the, especially the older guys who paved the way feels like well, it to me. I, you know, 
Landon Crawley, who did a phenomenal job at Volusia. I know he didn't have the results he wanted to in the feature, but to be able to qualify good and keep stay up front in the dash, you know, they interviewed me, Buddy Kofoy, which again is a phenomenal race car driver, and Landon Crawley. And, and Landon had run like three, four, 10 races before this year started. And he's like, yeah, I've been to a couple outlaw shows and stuff. And it just, it makes me feel old because that I feel like I'm still 16. Like, I feel like I'm just getting started. Yeah. I've been out here for seven years, second year on the outlaw tour. And it's just like, not saying Donnie's old, but man, like to it, at some point, like you, you, I know he has, cause you know, like he speaks very highly of me, which I, I appreciate, but to see the changing of the guard, cause it was always Steve, Sammy and Doug Wolfgang, you know, you had mm-hmm. Dave, those badass guys in there. And, and you know, it was, you know, Darren Pittman, Steve Kinzer, Donnie shots for a while. Shane Stewart was up there. And now really it, it's, you know, Donnie, Brad Sweets, David Gravel, Carson Cito, Logan Shuhart, like the guys that I felt like were those young classes when I was watching are the ones that are winning races now. So it happens in all kinds of motorsport, the changing of the guard and stuff. You, you know, you can't have Donnie shots can't race till he's 60 years old. So it's got to change at some point, but it's just, uh, it's amazing to see his viewpoint on things and, 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 you know, the way he looks at stuff and how discussions go within, within TSR. Just phenomenal. So real quick, you're you're back out on the road. We go back racing March 3rd and 4th, correct? So we'll kick off bike week. I actually leave tomorrow for Florida. So uh, we have kind of a bike week kickoff event in DeLand, which is about 30 miles west of uh, Daytona Beach. Excuse me. I'm going to have the car there on display and stuff for all the bikers and stuff to hang out. So the weather looks like shit, which hopefully that clears up. Um, and then we go to Texas for about the next month or so, Cannondale, cotton bowl a couple new racetracks in arkansas and oklahoma so i'm excited this this next month will be will be cool normally we're going texas into california but they've kind of gotten rid of the california swing there early in the year with the with the rain and stuff that's happened so um, a few new tracks and we make it back to uh knoxville in april we'll be in touch i begin my crazy travel part over the next three mo- three weeks or so with march madness so we'll i don't know where i will be but we'll probably yep. check in and do a little show from two different hotel rooms or from your rig or, or wherever. So this, this was awesome, man. Uh, best of luck down in Florida. We'll be watching as always. All right, brother. Thank you. All right. Uh, he's Giovanni Selzy. I'm Chris Williams. Thanks to Donnie shots for joining us here on Selzy says we'll be back in a couple weeks. Just follow us on social media um, at Chris and Williams. What's your social? You have a weird Selzy. Uh, give me your Twitter. Twitter's Geo Selzy. Uh, Geo Selzy. Yeah, you can find me. Anything okay. Selzy. KCP Racing. Yeah, we'll keep you guys updated on when the next show will be. Uh, thanks to everybody for paying attention, uh, following us on YouTube. And please, when you listen to the podcast, give us a rating. Uh, leave us a positive review. That helps us grow this thing. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks.